So a couple of months ago, I was out living my wild lifestyle. No. Um, but I was out at a show and a concert, and I ended up sitting right next to this guy that um, I started talking with and, you know, just chatting as it is. And uh, we started realizing that we were both musicians, and that's always a good commonality to find. And so we started talking about music and um, what kind of music we played. And it turns out he was from, I think, France or Belgium or something, and he, was, he had moved to Vancouver, but he was playing in a heavy metal band. So not, he was doing jazz over in France, but now he was doing heavy metal in Canada. And so um, it's like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. I, like, I don't listen to heavy metal. I'm more of like the folk, folk pop singer, more folk than pop, let's be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, okay, that's cool. Talked about that and I said, oh, well, like when you're in Vancouver, where, where does your band play? He's like, well, you know, we mostly tour, but once in a while we, we play shows at the rickshaw. And I was like, oh, the rickshaw. Yeah, I know the rickshaw. Uh, he's like, really? It's like, yeah, I've, I've actually, I've performed there before. <laughs> really? You know, like connection, right? Like now we're really connecting. Um, I was like, yeah, I preached there for my church. And uh, that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> and if I were tweeting this, I would say, hashtag, still single. <laughs> so that story has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, just so you know. And I just want you to know, too, I don't consider preaching to be a performance. It's just I was trying to use common language so that he would somehow find me intriguing. Um, so, um, so uh, good morning. <laughs> uh, it's really great to be here. I am uh, not a pastor at this church. I am actually one of you. Isn't that great? So thanks to our, our leadership for, um, yeah, for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. It's, uh, it's just an honor, and I'm really thankful that I get to do this. I want to ask someone, anyone, uh, if they would want to come up and pray for us this morning as we start. So not one of our pastors, ideally. Does anyone want to come up and pray? Yeah, thank you. And I, I know you, but I forget your name. Jalen. Jalen, right, Jalen, thank you. Okay. Um, do you want to just maybe, yeah, you know what, just yell it. It's just, that's just normal. Yeah. Can you remind me of your name? Stephanie. Stephanie. Oh, Okay. Cool. Now we're both. Yeah, we're even. Okay. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for today and for the chance to hear from your daughter. Uh, what a blessing it is for us to have Stephanie sharing. Pray that you would open up your word to us this morning, that we would have open hearts to hear what you have to say. Pray that you would calm any nerves that Stephanie might have. Pray that your words would stick mm -hmm. and that hers would uh, float away and just Thank you for this community that we know each other and we love each other and just, uh, yeah, bless this morning, bless our kids' ministry as it's happening and, yeah, be honored by Steph's words and by our worship for you. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, so I w is Dan Klenner here this morning? Dan in the house? I, no? Okay, that's perfect. 
Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I was, I was working with Dan a couple of months ago um, in his studio, and he, he had a, an assistant recording engineer also with us. We were there for two weeks working on an album. And, you know, as, as it is when you're working with someone, you end up talking about all sorts of things in the matter of two weeks. Got, we got to know each other really well. Um, awesome guy, Dan Klenner, right? Yeah, just incredible human being. So in one of our last days, we ended up um, talking about the Bible. And I don't know how we got onto it. I think he had watched a documentary or something on the Bible, the history of the Bible. And Dan is a super smart guy and loves information. And so we we're talking about that. And um, this uh, assistant engineer who was with us, he's maybe early 20s, no, no church background, no, has never read the Bible before. Um, so what we were talking about was like, super nerdy, first of all, um, but also just like no idea what we were talking about. We were talking about, you know, um, the canon and the formation of the canon and blah, blah, blah. And this guy was just like, what? Like, who are you? And, um, but he was kind of intrigued. And so he started asking questions. And so we ended up having this really long conversation, which I actually paid for, apparently. Um, yeah, I realized that after, like, that just cost me $300. Um, but we had this long conversation and, um, and just went all over the map to the Protestant Reformation and the, the invention of the printing press and just all over the place, how we got to have this book in our hands. And at the end of the conversation, uh, I was taken aback by uh, this, this guy's comment. He just, we finished kind of talking, okay, let's get back to recording. And he just said, you guys are so lucky. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, I don't know. I just wish that I had a book that I could turn to to know how to live my life. That just seems like such an amazing thing to have. And I just was taken aback. Like, what? yeah, I guess that is actually kind of amazing that we actually have this book where we can go to for advice. Of course, it's so much more than that. But um, that just really kind of set me. I knew I was going to be preaching this sermon today and that conversation just set me on this path of like, yeah, we can talk about the printing press and uh, the Reformation, and that's all good and, and important, but um, that someone from the outside would look at it and go, wow, that's so cool, you guys have this book that you obviously are passionate about, and obviously it's changed you somehow, and I, I wish I had that. So in, in talking about scripture, as you, as you know, we've been going through a series called Breaking Up and Making Up with the Bible. And I don't know about you guys, but I've really, really enjoyed this series. And it's been, um, yeah, just reminded me of so many things in my own life that like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that way anymore. And I used to think that way. And what, what happened to me? Um, and just kind of uh, reminding me of um, the fact that we can actually love Scripture. And so, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks to, our, to our leadership here, to Nelson and Lance and Scott, uh, for just tackling this topic of scripture, because it's not an easy topic, especially in our day and age, I think, um, to talk about. So today we're going to kind of tackle a number of questions. Uh, what are we to do with the Bible? What does it do to us? Those questions will kind of be answered indirectly throughout our time together. Um, the, the things that we're going to focus on today are uh, a Jewish understanding of scripture. So we're going to start there. And then just kind of basically answer the question, how do I read scripture? So that might sound super boring to you, but trust me, it's not. So are you ready? We're not using the screen today, so that's the only slide you're going to see. 
Um, that's on purpose. So I'm, uh, I live on a screen. I, I work for a tech company, and I'm on a computer all day, and then we have our screens at home. And we're just going to use the, the chair Bibles. So if you guys want to grab those. And I encourage you even to um, not use your app. I always use the app when, whenever we come to church. Well, I'll just get it on my phone. But let's see if we can just use the paper today. And I don't know, that might be a new experience, but I, I stole one, so there's one less. But share with a buddy if, if there's not enough. Um, that's also nice just to, to share scripture together. So let's start with Psalm 1, page 374. Psalm 1, page 374. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The word of the Lord. So we want to start this morning by talking about delight. And I just want to ask you guys a question. When was the last time you delighted in something? You just stopped and just felt pure joy and happiness and you weren't worried about the future or thinking about the regrets of the past. You were just in this moment and you just felt delight. Yes, this is a real question, okay. Yeah, sure, yeah. You just love your daughter. I've heard that's like a newborn phenomena, um, and then that somehow it changes, but um, that's awesome. Yeah, you, del you delight in your daughter. I'm not a parent, so I have, I have no idea. This is just what I've heard. Um, awesome, yeah. Yeah, you delight in, your, in your, ch your child, and then when you have more in your children. Anyone else? What, what do you delight in? Joel? I paid Joel to say that, so after. Awesome, so playing music. One more. What do you delight in? Sunshine, yeah, totally. Yeah. I actually, when I first started thinking about this question, I had a hard time answering it. I don't know. It's like, what do I just stop and take in? It's, it's not actually that easy of a question unless, unless you have a newborn. Um, but uh, yeah, so interesting in, in this scripture that we're looking at this morning that the, the psalmist, and we're going to assume the Israelites as a people, they delighted in scripture. 
Um, when was the last time you delighted in scripture? Oh, <laughs> um, that's, a, that, that's probably a hard question to answer. Um, I know I don't, I don't know the last time I delighted in scripture. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, was, it was very much a trademark of the people of God in, in the Old Testament. A couple other uh, examples of, of delight in the Psalms. Psalm 119, different verses from there. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. Not something you hear every day unless you read the Psalms. So this was a, a, a normal um, posture of the Israelites. The Psalms is a, a collection of poems and songs put together over about a thousand year span. It uh, chronicles uh, the history of the Israelite people or part of their history uh, through song, which is really cool because we sing about often the things that we love the most, right? And so they sang about their love of the law, their love of the law. And looking at just a cursory glance of, of some of uh, the Old Testament, uh, for example, in Leviticus 19, here's a couple of verses for you of the law. You must not crossbreed two different kinds of your livestock, sow your fields with two kinds of seed, or put on a garment made of two kinds of material. You are not to cut off the hair at the sides of your head or mar the edge of your beard. So they took delight in this. That's, that's interesting. Maybe life was really boring back then. I don't know. But that, is that what they delighted in? Things like that? I think the, the question that we probably need to answer this morning is, well, what is the law? When they say that they delighted in the law, what is the law? So for an Israelite person, if ours got to go back into history and think, well, they didn't have, they didn't have the, the Old and New Testament. Um, they didn't even have what we call the Old Testament. At this point in their history, they had the first five books of the library, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is what they called the law. And so for them, it wasn't just the obscure laws that I, for example, what I just read, but it was the, the, the five books of the, of the Old Testament, what they called the, the Torah, the Pentateuch. So, of course, we can't just pick out laws randomly and expect to understand it or appreciate it. I mean, some laws, they're obvious, but a lot of laws aren't. And we even have some in Canada. I have a couple of examples for you guys. So, in Sudbury, Ontario, which is close to my hometown of Timmins, anyone here been to Sudbury? Oh, seriously? Sudbury, Ontario. Yeah. So this is a law in Sudbury. It's illegal to attach a siren to your bicycle ever since 1973. So you can have a bell or a whistle. Well, you wouldn't attach a whistle to your bicycle. Well, maybe you would. Um, but if you do attach a siren to your bicycle, they will fine you $5,000. So keep that in mind when you go to Sudbury. Um, in uh, Suris PEI, there is a local law that... The first part of the law is just a warning. They warn residents against building monstrous snowmen. 
for, yeah, I know, dice, ridiculous, right? So dice could not live there. And if you lived on a corner lot in this town, it's actually against the law to build a snowman taller than 30 inches. Okay. So obviously you guys get my point. Context is important, and we don't have the context for these laws, and so we hear them and go like, that's ridiculous. I want to build a snowman that's really big. I do. And so I'm not, I'm not moving there. And so for the Israelite, the law was so much more than just a bunch of rules and regulations. Here's a quote from an Old Testament scholar, Christopher Wright. The law meant more for an Israelite than the word normally means for us. For, first of all, the term for all this material in the first five books of the Old Testament is Torah, which means not just law in the sense of legislation or statute law, but guidance, instruction, God's guidebook to life. And this guidance included not just the great collections of the laws found in the second half of Exodus, Leviticus, parts of Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but also all the narratives in which they are embedded, along with many other kinds of writings, songs and snatches of ancient poetry, travel journals, genealogies, blessings, geographical notes, census lists, obituaries, and so on. The Torah is a rich tapestry of many threads. So when we read that the person, a person's delight is in the law of the Lord, we start to understand that they were delighting not just in a bunch of rules and regulations, but on the story of God, the story that God had written for them as a people. They were reminded once again of this God who rescued them. When they read and heard the law, they remembered their story. They remembered the story of their ancestors. They remembered what God was like, what his character was like, what it pleased him, um, what kind of life he had set out for their great, great, great grandparents. And is that life for me also in this day? They remembered who they were and where they were going. And I think in, in doing so, they recaptured again and again their identity as the people of God. And it sank so deep generation after generation that they flourished in this identity as the people of God. They found a home in this identity. And this was their story, a story of a people who weren't a people until God came and chose them and rescued them. When they read and listened and meditated on the law, they were reading and listening to and meditating on the wonders of Yahweh, this God who started a nation, took them out of slavery, made a way where there seemed to be no way, over and over again, patiently taught them a way that brimmed with life and blessing and possibility, and gave them a land that they could, they could sow their fields and have families on. He forgave them over and over and over again. And all of this, um, initially anyway, before they even had a law. Remember, he formed this nation before he gave them the law. And so they remembered a God who chose them because he loved them. And so obviously they delighted in this law because it was a story of love and of grace for them and a way of life that was full and abundant. Another long quote from Christopher Wright. The least one can say about a people who expressed such enthusiastic sentiments for the law is that they were not groveling under a heavy burden of legalism. 
They were not anxiously striving to earn their way into salvation in a relationship with God through punctilious law-keeping. They were not puffed up with the claims of self-righteousness or exhausted with the efforts of works-righteousness. They did not, in short, fit into any of the characters that have been inflicted upon the Old Testament law. On the contrary, people who could frame such peons of praise for the law knew that it was a national treasure greater than any museum could boast. Such devout Israelites delighted in the law as a gift of God's grace and token of God's love, given to them for their own good. They saw it as a blessing in itself and the means of enjoying God's continued blessing. They recalled that the revelation of the law to Israel was a unique privilege, granted to no other nation. They urged one another to obey it, not in order to get saved, but because God had already saved them. They delighted in it as the road to life and as the river of fruitfulness, as we read in Psalm chapter 1. And so naturally, when you delight in something, you are going to meditate on it. You're going to think about it a lot. And that's just, a, just, just like you think about your, your baby after she's sleeping, right? It's just a natural human thing to do. Oh, I take so much delight in that. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to think upon it. And that's what, what we see in... in Uh, verse 2 of the psalm that we're looking at. Blessed is he or she whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So this isn't an Eastern meditation idea, um, probably what we're more familiar with, where you empty your mind. This is a Hebrew meditation where you fill your mind with the words of God, with scripture. It's a little bit like a dog when you give a dog a bone. And, of course, what does that dog do with it? For hours, that dog just chews on it and plays with it and paws at it and buries it and then takes it out and then puts it back and and just consumed by this bone. And that's a little bit like Hebrew meditation where you're just, you, you chew on it and you digest it and you take it in. Day and night. Or in Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So remember, they couldn't just pick up scripture and read it. They didn't have Bibles like, like we had they had to go and listen to the scrolls being read. And that was done at various times of the year, um, at the temple or the tabernacles, and during their feast. So they would, they would hear it, you know, maybe three times a year they would hear scripture. So they would take that home and they would write it places and they would put reminders everywhere and they would talk about it and they would live out what they heard uh, from, the, from the scrolls. And generation after generation, we see a people who tried to live out the scriptures that they read. They tried to further the story that they were in, that they were involved in. They were shaped by the story of God. So this is meditation. When we read in Psalm 1 that they meditated on a day and night, it wasn't just a 20-minute reading in the morning or the lotus pose, um, but it was a meditation of one's entire life. Their living out of uh, this law was a direct gateway into the heart of God, 
the lawgiver. It was completely attached um, in relationship to God, to Yahweh. They knew his love, they knew his mercy, they knew his faithfulness because they experienced it all the time. And so there's a, a connection between their relationship with God, their delight in scripture, their meditation of scripture, and their obedience of scripture. And you can see how these, these things just were so interconnected, and they, and they had to be. Um, that's, that's how God created um, the law to be, that it was so much a part of a, of a, a bigger pie, ultimately um, with God at the center and their relationship with him. And so I think when we hear the word obedience, I don't know about you, but that's where it's like, oh, okay, like, this all has been nice. I, I get the whole delight thing. I get the whole meditation thing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But then it's like, oh, but now obey? Oh, that's, that's legalistic. No. I am free in Christ. I am not going there. I can, I can do what I want because I am free in Christ. And that, saying that just sounds terrible, but I think we think that a lot. And there is a component to obedience in scripture and, and we can't get away from it. It's, it's just there. It's, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Um, but remember that their obedience was, again, it was couched in relationship with God. So I want to highlight just one, one part of that this morning, of their obedience to the law, that hopefully you guys will be able to take and go, okay, I can, I can apply that 1,500 years later into my own life. Because even the laws themselves were uh, enveloped in their relationship with God and in God's heart, um, the law wasn't just an expression of, of God's character, of the way he wanted them to live, of the best life set out for them to live. Um, it was that, but it was also a beautiful way that God reminded them of who they were, of their identity, and of his love for them. Really? Like, is that what the law is? It's just a... a how, how? How is giving a tithe that? How is giving uh, money a reminder of God's love for them or who they were as a people? There was, there, there was the Sabbath law. They had to, every seventh day on, on what we call a Saturday, uh, stop working. And I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in um, a tradition where Sabbath meant, like, like, no, no work, no sports. Like, it was, you had to read a book or take a nap, and you had to be really quiet. Like, just keep your voices really quiet on Sunday for us. And that felt pretty legalistic to me. I mean, at the time, I just thought that was what people did all over the world. They didn't. But uh, is that what Sabbath was for them? Uh, if you read about the Sabbath, it, it's, uh, there's lots, lots of... Uh, rules and regulations within the Sabbath in the tradition, the Jewish tradition. And so, but no, um, it was about the fact that they were slaves in Egypt. Um, God points back to the, to the Exodus and that they were owned by the Egyptians. They never had a day off. For hundreds of years, they worked to the bone. They hardly owned anything. And so God saying, you're going to rest every seventh day was such a gift to a people who did not know rest. Or how about the festivals and feasts that they had to go to three times a year? They had to take the trek up to Jerusalem. Oh, it's expensive, you know? Like, and it takes time, and then I can't sow my 
fields, and I don't even know what so fields means really, I'm not a farmer, but I hear that's how you say it. Um, but I had to take care of my fields, and, um, but these feasts and festivals, they were a reminder constantly of, the, of where they came from. They celebrated Passover. Um, they remembered who they were as a people and their identity as the people of God and that God had rescued them. And the tithe, they had to give, we, we tithe 10%. They actually gave like, I don't know, if you do the math, it's like almost 30% a year of, of what they produced. 30%, that's like Canadian government highway robbery. Like that's, that's a lot of money. Um, of course, it went to different places, and it's really interesting, and if you want to read a really good paper about it, just let me know. Okay. Um, Deuteronomy 26, 5 to 10. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down in e into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egypt Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. So again, the law, the tithe law that they had was all to point back to the fact that all that they had, all that they had was given to them by, by God. They were slaves, they had nothing, and God rescued them. And so over and over again, we see the law at work pointing to the heart of God, pointing to his character, pointing to the best way to live, but also reminding them of where they came from, reminding them of their history over and over again. And they lived out these laws and as they lived these laws out, they remembered, oh yeah, God is so good to us. We had nothing, and now look at how much we have. These laws affected their worship. They affected their relationship with God, obviously, and with others. It impacted how they treated the land that they were given, their choices they made, their ethical practices, their social and economic practices how they treated foreigners. They permeated every part of their life. And through these laws, the heart of Yahweh flowed, not just for them, but for the nations around them. They would remember and obey, and they would meditate, and they would delight, and the cycle just went around and around. And of course, we want to remember that they didn't always live this way. And if you look at the Old Testament, um, tragically, we see also the connection between forgetting and idolatry. And over and over again, the cycle that is in the Old Testament of them forgetting who their God is and quickly moving into idolatry. And the ramifications of that is huge. Read the prophets. It's just, it's, it's disastrous. It's not just, it didn't just affect their religious practices, it affected their, their ethics and how they lived uh, socially. And so remembering was thriving, was abundance, was living the way that God set out for them. And when they did, they became trees, as we read in Psalm 1. They became trees because they were planted by the river of water. 
And for us, it's not really a big deal. We see trees everywhere. Okay, so they were trees. That's, that's weird. But remember that Psalm 1 was written by a poet in the Middle East, in the desert. And trees were very hard to come by. And water was very hard to come by, never mind trees. You came across a tree next to water, that, whoa, where, where am I? Um, many wars in the Old Testament were fought over water, a water source. And so that metaphor that they were trees planted by a river of water is striking. They would be possibly seen in the distance. You know, if you can imagine you're in the desert and you see a tree in the distance and you go towards the tree, like, that's so weird. That's not supposed to be there. And you get close and it's this thriving tree. The, the, leaf is, the leaves are not withering. And... Wow, that's, that, that's neat. And then, wait a minute, there must be water nearby. If this tree is thriving, there's got to be a water source. So you look for the river, and suddenly the focus is on the river, right? It's like, oh, we can fill up our canteens or our, our jugs or whatever. Um, you can wash your face, maybe they bathe. I mean, this was a huge deal, that suddenly in the desert there's a tree next to a river. And that is who the people of God are meant to be. We're meant to be, are meant to be. And that's an amazing, amazing promise, I think. And, and I, I don't say it as in life is good, everything's fine, if you follow Jesus, it all goes well, see, read the Bible, and it'll all be fine. No, I know that you're not hearing that from me, right? Okay, thank you in the back. Um, yeah, like we're in the middle of some really bleak circumstances. But this passage is still true for us today. Um, Lance talked to us uh, last week about the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that the full revelation of God's heart is not found in scripture, but is found in Jesus. And so we, we are followers of Jesus. We're not Israelites. We can glean a lot from these stories, but ultimately we'll want to look at what Jesus says. And so let's do that uh, briefly this morning. John 5:39. You pour over the scriptures because you think they have because you think you have eternal life in them. Yet they testify about me. This is Jesus talking by the way. And you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. And you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And there we see it again, the relationship, right? It's not just about reading the Bible. It's not just about scripture. In fact, scripture without relationship to God is basically dead. Um, it's just what we call legalism. And these words from John 15, uh, this is page 752, if you want to follow along. It's a bit of a longer passage. John 15, page 752. I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Does this sound familiar a little bit to what we just read in the Psalms? Uh, in Psalms, it says, Who, Whose delight is in the law of the Lord? And Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you so that, your, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Psalm 1, you will be like a tree planted by the river of water. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. And Psalm 1, who bears it fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever you do prospers. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. The parallels in these two passages, Old Testament and New Testament, are, are striking. We come to Jesus for life, we remain in him, and we drink up the scriptures like crazy and watch scripture transform us in relationship with Jesus. And if we do, we will become like trees by a river of water or like branches on a vine. We'll become like Christ. And if we don't, we become like the chaff that the wind blows away, as it says in Psalm 1, or um, like the wicked. That's, that's what the psalmist calls it, the, the wicked. Or like Jesus says, we are thrown aside like a branch and wither. I think this is the hard part about scripture, at least it is for me, is that there's often just this or that. It's, it's not like all these options and you can just pick one. It's you're either going to be a branch on the vine or you're going to be thrown into the fire. You're either going to be a tree planted by the river of water or you're going to be chaff that the wind blows away. Those are the choices that we have and I think that's why we need to wrestle with scripture. That's why we need to meditate on scripture because, oh, that's hard. Especially in the 21st century where we don't like to say anything concrete about anything. Um, that's, this, is, this is a hard part about scripture. But as we meditate on scripture, we, um, we abide in Christ and we come to know him and his ways and we remember our own stories as the Israelites did. And we understand the way of the Father and we start to live out those ways today. And I say today because we are not Israelites and we're not Jews, probably most of us, maybe, maybe a few of you are, but we are um, 21st century Gentiles, Vancouverites, living in our fast-paced, humanistic, hedonistic, narcissistic, postmodern world where we get really ticked off when we have to wait for a page to load on the internet. 
this is the world that we live in. This is not um, the Psalm world. We have a frantic pace to our lives. You guys know this. We, we live this life together. Uh, we're distracted so often. So hear the scripture again, not from a Jewish perspective. Um, hear it for yourselves. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I have wept over this sermon, to be honest with you guys. Um, I'm fine, thanks, Sky. <laughs> it's good tears. Um, <laughs> Sky's like, good tears? It's good tears. Um, this has been, uh, well, I mean, I think Preaching is, is, is tough because um, you, you have to take it in, right? I mean, I don't know how Lance and Nelson and Scott do it all the time because it's just like constant conviction of the word week after week after week. And like, well, I get it twice a year, so that's cool. No, um, but um, my, my heart has been so, so sad For myself, um, for us, for this life that God paints that we could have and we so often don't choose it and it's right there. And I think, you know, we could have a discussion this morning about all the things that we could do. Okay, so yeah, we need to read the Bible. We get it. Um, I need to meditate on scripture. I get it. But... Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys have some really good um, ideas about that and, and already are practicing uh, meditation of God's word in your life. And, uh, and unfortunately, we don't have time to get a whiteboard out and, and list them all, but talk about it. We, we need each other's ideas. Um, the thing that has struck me as I've been working on this sermon and asking God, what, what do you want to say? to us this morning because it's not it's not me that speaks um, as Jalen prayed it's it's my words can be chaff but the word of God is living and active and enduring and what do you want to say to us this morning God and the, where I landed was social media so that's where we're going I don't know I have no idea how much time we have left Lance do you know no okay cool but I want to talk about social media, and this is going to hit home, hopefully, super close. And, of course, it hits home to me, and that is why I have wept this week. Um, 
for me, for us, for our culture. Did you know that a teenager spends up to nine hours a day on some kind of media platform? Now, I'm assuming that's also doing some schoolwork. But um, Netflix, schoolwork, social media, Facebook, three hours of those nine hours are considered to be just social media. So Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube. Three hours of a teenager's life every day is looking at a screen doing social media. What about us? We're not teenagers. Maybe a few of you are. Oh, those teenagers. Oh, the next generation. What are we going to do? Two hours of our day, on average, is spent on social media. So that's not, and then that's not including Netflix. That's just the, you know, Facebook, Instagram, those kinds of things. Poor Twitter. In that study, it was, Twitter got one minute of that two hours. Yeah, I know. Ever since Donald Trump went on Twitter, Twitter it's just, people are leaving. Um, so, two hours every day, that's not, um, I want to point out that's not including pornography viewing for men and for women. That's just social media. So you can see the hours stacking up. And so the question is, what are we filling our heads and our hearts with? What? What are we looking at in those two hours? It's social media, right? It's, it's click, click, scroll, listen to 30 seconds of this song, watch this quick, oh, that's too long, no, okay, gotta go on. Oh, cute pictures. Like, it's, what, what are we doing? Psalm 1-1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And this is still applicable. These words that are over a thousand year, years old are still applicable. This addresses how we think how we behave and who we belong to. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. How we think, how we behave, and who we belong to. And I'm not just talking about the fact that we're wasting time. That's a whole other sermon. I'm not talking about the fact that it numbs us and it deadens our spirits and that it's so addictive that it's a thief to our attention span, that we can't even hardly sit through a sermon anymore without checking our phones. Am I right? This is hard. I, we probably thought about Facebook like at least twice in the time that I've been talking. And especially because I keep saying Facebook, now you really are thinking about it. I'm not just talking about it, that it's so narcissistic. It's so narcissistic, right? It's just, those things are just other sermons. I'm, I'm talking about what we're bringing into our minds, into our souls, into our hearts, and that these things actually have a powerful effect on our ethics and our morality and our understanding of truth. Hour after hour, year after year, what are we feeding our trees? If we are trees, people of God, if we are trees, then what are we growing our roots down into? What are we meditating on? 
What is our source? Two hours a day of our source is Facebook. And remember, for the psalmist and for Jesus, it was the chaff that the wind blows away or the tree rooted in the river of life. Those are the options that we have before us. And I find myself thinking things like, oh, well, what, what is true? What is right? I mean, you can't, you can't really say, you can't really know. Everything kind of gets blurry after a while. I don't know. I mean, you do what you want to do. You believe what you want to believe, and I'll do and be what I want to be. And you know what? Oh, Suits is on the next season. Okay, cool. I'll watch that. I don't have to think about these things. They're not important. I live my life. It's, it's cool. And we take all this information in, and this isn't, yeah, Suits, Netflix, like that's just a whole other party, right? <laughs> like what? The, the, the stuff that we watch. And just to say, I'm on Facebook. I have Netflix. I'm not saying that it's, you shouldn't do these things. I'm, I don't hear that. But you guys, I mean, I know you get, I know you get the point. It's like excess, so much excess, so much addiction. And we just fill our minds with garbage. And so our identity as God's people is, what exactly? I mean, who, who is God? I don't remember. I don't really know. And I don't really know who I am. And okay, so we become like the one that we worship, but I don't, who do I worship? And oh, well, oh, Marvel. Marvel put out Iron Fist. Will the hand be defeated? Maybe. I better find out. I watched it. So <laughs> it wasn't defeated. Again. Oh, the defenders need to come. So what does God's voice sound like in a sea of voices? What does God's voice sound like in a sea of voices? I was starting to forget. I was starting to forget. So much information. So much that I couldn't believe or didn't even know if I could believe. I mean, I don't even... Mr. The President of the United States, whose name should not be mentioned, I mean, he's right. There is fake news everywhere. We don't even know what to believe anymore. What is true? What is not true? I don't know. And we just keep reading all this stuff and watching all this stuff, and I was starting to forget what God's voice sounded like. So last year, I decided to do something about it. I decided to slowly wean myself off Facebook. Oh, painful. Um, but I did it because I just felt like I was growing numb, like I was forgetting what truth was. I was forgetting what God's voice sounded like. And so I wanted to once again acquire a taste for scripture. I just, I was taking in so much fast food garbage and I wanted the rich meal that is scripture once again. And I needed to make room for it. I, need, I didn't have time because I was spending so much time on social media, little bits here and there throughout my day that all added up. And I'm still in recovery. I still think about Facebook too much. I'm, I'm not there yet. But I can tell you that when I stopped, when I, when I put boundaries in my life, oh, I immediately felt freedom. I got, it, was, it was instantaneous. I just, I breathe. <sighs> okay, okay, this is good. This is good for me. And my hunger for truth has just increased and increased. Um, 
I think this is an area of our lives that we can really say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put boundaries, rules in my life so that I can make room for God's voice for my relationship with him. And this is the world that we live in. There's, there's wars and there's terrorism and there's power struggles everywhere and there's sexual exploitation and there's wicked politicians and corrupt governments and we're destroying our planet and there's pipelines and our own prime minister lies to our faces and there's missing Aboriginal women in our city and there's a fentanyl crisis and we have broken relationships in our own lives and we're addicted and we are fearful and we're paranoid and God says, come, come. I want to make you like a tree planted by the river of water. In all of that, it's God's promise for us. It is first a place to breathe in, and then it is a place to act from, right? As God's people, we act. And we won't find this kind of truth in social media or in Netflix. This is scripture and only scripture. If you want a life whose leaf does not wither, who blossoms fruit in the right season, and whatever you do leads to shalom peace and relational abundance, which is prosperity, you will find this by meditating on scripture while abiding in Jesus. And that is the promise that we have today. It takes time, it's uncomfortable, it, it's, it's hard to figure out sometimes. It takes faith, it takes patience, and there's nothing immediate or casual about our relationship with God. It is a long, sometimes hard walk in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson reminds us. But remember, there's delight in it. And I, I really believe that as we learn to delight in Scripture, we're not going to want to do the other stuff. We're going to want to do what we delight in, right? And so it, there's a training that has to take place. And maybe, maybe you're already there, and, and that is awesome. And you're on that road, and your tree is, is leafy um, and deeply rooted in Jesus. And uh, we would love to hear your stories because some of us need to know how to get there. And that's what community is for. And if we sit and meditate on scripture and wrestle with it, it will change us. Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It may bring you to repentance. And it will bring you to freedom. So involve your community. Uh, meditation was not just solitary. Solitary, It was um, with other people. Involve your community in it. And remember together what God has done. Tell your stories, share your stories, just like the Israelites did over and over again. We can do that too. Remember the stories of, I once was lost and now I'm found. What is that, what is that story for you? Remember, let's remember together our stories of God's rescue of us in this time. And Nelson ended his sermon a couple weeks ago reminding us that we are God-breathed, that we are signposts of another kingdom, we are previews of another reality that is breaking in today. And I'll add to that and say we are also thriving trees in the middle of a desert. We're going to look different than our culture, than our neighbor. But that comes with the beautiful package of salvation, of resurrection. 
compared to others. We're going to act differently. We're going to respond differently. We're going to speak differently. We're going to have different habits. We're going to spend our time doing different things and our money on different things. We're going to treat people differently, and we might even give up our lives for the sake of loving Jesus and loving others. This is the fruitful tree in the desert drinking the river of God through scripture. This is abundant life. It was never just about you and me. It was about us. It was about all of us, not just us in here, but God's heart to bring the nations to himself, to rescue all people from slavery and to transform all hearts through the work of Jesus. And this is ultimately why we are trees. Scripture is changing us into carriers of God so that we can take to the world the life and the love of Jesus. And that is Psalm 1. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for Scripture. Thank you for these stories and these songs and poems that cut through all of the garbage and all of the, uh, the gray and the lies, and they come right to the heart of the matter, God. And would you today, God, in this place, for those who need to be um, breathed into all over again by you, God, would you... Would you breathe? Would you uh, just give us what we need, Lord, to have courage to, um, to really grab hold of what you're calling us to, the life of the tree planted next to you. Jesus, would you, um, for those of us who um, just need to repent of our ways, of, of what we put into our, our brains and our bodies and know that it's not what you have for us, it's not the best that you have for us. God, would you make this place into a place of repentance and of freedom, of turning and living. God, we just invite you, whatever you want to do today, that this time would not just be legalism, would not just be going through the motions because we follow you, God, but because we want to know what it means to delight in you, Jesus, and to know what it means to give that to the world around us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for calling us um, before we knew the law. We thank you for pursuing us, God, when we were still dead in sin. You died for us, and we, um, we love you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.